Hello, and thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Vice President of Education and Certification Strategy for APACN, and I'm here today with Jennifer LeBay, APACN Curriculum Development Specialist. Jennifer joins us to discuss some of the differences between federal and state-specific regulations for MDS completion. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Amy. It's always a pleasure to be here with you and the members. We know that there are federal requirements for MDS completion as outlined in the REI user's manual, but what do NACs need to know related to other state-specific requirements for the MDS? So many things have a state-specific requirement, potentially, and not all states have these requirements. So that's what makes it kind of tricky for us here at APACN because our focus needs to be on those federal regulations. But each state may have different requirements. So a new NAC or somebody new to the team really needs to understand those different items. Some of those things could be, for example, what to do if you have a resident who discharges return anticipated and then they don't come back. Federally, there's nothing we have to do. The time will go past and the federal government understands that and you don't need to go in and change anything. But some states may have a specific requirement that the facility staff go in and do a modification of the type of discharge to change it to that discharge return not anticipated if that is actually the case. Also, there could be uh, some Section S requirements. Section S is state-specific. There is nothing in the REI user's manual with any instructions about Section S. Each state can apply to the federal government to include additional information on the MDS. And some of these things could be advanced care planning items such as power of attorney or healthcare proxy. There could be demographic information. There could be different resident identifier codes if the resident doesn't have a social security number. Additional information about Medicaid case mix and payment information. And again, it's not going to be in the REI user's manual. So it's important to understand what those different requirements are. And most of the states have very readily available instructions for those different items. In addition to those two things, there's also Section Q, the local contact agency. Although there's not generally state-specific items in Section Q itself, the local contact agency may vary. So it could be, you know, your whole state would have one specific local contact agency. Now, I I live in Rhode Island, so I'm a little tiny state. We have one. But your bigger states may have multiple depending on the location. So it's important for the NACs and the interdisciplinary team who might be dealing with those Section Q items to know who that local contact agency is and to know who to reach out to and who do we need to bring that information to, whether it's a transition team or a different entity, an ombudsman, whoever it is in your community, who do we reach out to if that local contact agency needs to be contacted? On top of those items, there also are some PDPM considerations. 
PDPM for OBRA, certain states have allowed the states to capture the PDPM specific information for OBRA in order to look at their payment system for future consideration for perhaps their Medicaid case mix. That is something that is different from state to state. Some states are gathering the information, other states aren't. So especially if you work in a small area, again, I'm in New England, so there could be lots of carryover from state to state if you're a traveler or if you know you work for a company as a floating MDS staff. That's something to be mindful of because you might be doing you know, PDPM on OBRA assessments and not doing that in another building that you work in. Also, Medicaid case mix. There are many different requirements for the Medicaid case mix, and that could be MDS related. So there could be payment based on the rugs. It could be payment based on PDPM. It could be payment based on different types of rugs. There are always very specific items that must be followed. So for example, in my state, we're case mix individual rug calculation that will pay for that resident until their next quarterly is done. Other states do an aggregate of the case mix from the Medicaid folks. Other states may look at an average of all of the assessments completed. So it's very important to understand all of those different state-specific items. And there's a lot. When I was you know, looking into this uh, preparation, it was a lot of different items. And we've got you know, 51 different places and you know, the outlying territories that may also have specific rules. So you really have to understand not just the federal requirements, but what is required in your state. If there are both federal and state-specific requirements, which should be followed? Great question, Amy. We really need to follow both. Whichever one is the most restrictive. Now, obviously, we have the REI user's manual and the Code of Federal Regulations and everything that we have to do federally, and we have to do that at a minimum. But if your state has more specific requirements, you do need to follow that, as in the example I gave with the discharge return anticipated, and maybe you have to do a modification. But you also have to be cautious. Some things may not be spelled out specifically in writing in your state. And this is where you really need to know the ins and outs of perhaps you know, your state payment system or your scheduling. Some states may have a restriction for how early you can schedule an assessment. So in my state, as a case mix state, we can do quarterlies to affect the case mix. There's no issues or regulations related to how soon we can do the next quarterly. And federally, there is no time frame associated with that either. As long as you have it completed within that 92-day time frame, you can always do early assessments. But some states may have some restrictions because of that case mix. So you really have to understand that. Some of the things that might not be in writing, and I keep using Rhode Island as the example because I know that one the best, it may not have something specific to say you have to complete this assessment in order to get paid. It's just kind of a known thing if you know the system. So this is where you really want to reach out to other folks in your area to understand those quirks. So, for example, with an admission assessment, if that person is discharged prior to day 14, federally, we don't need that admission assessment completed. 
And there's nothing in the regulation statewide that says that you have to do anything different. However, if you are a Medicaid resident that is coming in and being admitted and they discharge prior to day 14, although we don't federally need that MDS, if an MDS is not completed, there's not going to be a rug calculated and there's not going to be any payment. So it can get a little tricky. Sometimes you have to read between the lines a little bit and make sure that you have a good understanding so you don't put your facility into financial risk. That's a great example that you just gave because, yes, that would be a big financial risk. So how does the NAC actually learn about these state-specific requirements? The number one place to go with anything for coding questions or scheduling questions related to state-specific would be the state REI coordinator. And this information, if you're not sure who your state REI coordinator is, CMS.gov, if you do a search for Appendix B of the REI user's manual, there's going to be the most updated PDF list of all of the state REI coordinators and their contact information. And they're really the number one resource with any of those state-specific coding questions. If there's any state-specific Section S questions or what is the Section S information, in addition to going to your state REI coordinator, if you go to the qtso.gov website and do a search for Section S, all of the state-required Section S items are listed there. So you can see what the Section S items are and if there are instructions that go along with that you can find that on the CUTSOA webpage. You could also reach out to your local advocacy groups, the local ACA or leading age satellite state groups would be a great resource because obviously they're going to know what the specific requirements are in the state. For the Medicaid items, Sometimes the state REI coordinators don't have the full detail about the payment system, and they'll readily tell you that when you reach out to them. So the NACs and the facilities would want to reach out to their state Medicaid agency. And there's many different ways that you can do this. Many times you can just do a search for yourstate.gov, and that will give you a listing of many things, but that's kind of the broader scope. You could do a search for nursing home regulations. You could do a search for nursing home payment. You may get some information Another place that you can reach out is the individual state Department of Health and Human Services. That is a separate web page from the state.gov uh, contact or the state executive office of health and human services is another entity that you can search. I was always a fan of I need to get my information. At least I have a starting point to dig. Maybe there's a phone number of somebody or an email that I can contact and say, who has this information? Who can give me the written details that I need to know? Because we all go into our jobs wanting to do a good job. And if we don't have all of the information we need, it makes it very difficult. In addition to the actual agencies, you could you know, reach out to your business office. If they are a seasoned a staff member, you could reach out to a business office member and they may have some tips on doing that case mix or how soon can we schedule things. Or they may have some contacts as a starting point for questions. 
if you have a sister facility, or even if it's not a sister facility in your organization, reaching out to another facility in your state or in your area, you know, it's good to network, it's good to make those connections for situations like this. If I know somebody in South Dakota and I'm going to move to South Dakota to do some MDS work, I'm going to reach out to that person and say, hey, what do I need to know? I've even had potential buyers of nursing homes say, okay, we're looking to buy a nursing home in Rhode Island. What's the skinny on the case mix? What do we need to do? What do we need to know? So having that networking is great. And then obviously, a PACN MDS general discussion community. There are so many members in all of the states who would be willing to help you out and give you that guiding light, if you will, to get to that information. Thank you, Jennifer. I agree. Having a network really helps because sometimes the instructions that are given by the state are confusing or they differ, like you said, from what we see in the RAI manual. And so having those contacts and networks to, you know, bounce ideas off of and help you understand is great. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Absolutely. The importance of MDS accuracy, regardless of state regulation, regardless of federal regulation, the accuracy across the board is vital. It can impact, we all know, so many things, our payment, our care, our quality. And it's not just state-specific-wide. Perhaps we're looking at the entire census case mix. That is going to impact payment or staffing or the five-star. So the accuracy of the MDS and the timeliness of completion of the MDS always is of utmost importance. Thank you for sharing your expertise with us today, Jennifer. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www.aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NAC Chat podcast. Heard the news about how you can improve quality care and increase efficiency with Ability? Ability offers a range of applications to simplify the complexity of healthcare, allowing organizations of all types and sizes to spend more time on care and less time manually collecting, analyzing, and reporting data. This allows you to remain in compliance while making data-driven decisions that benefit residents. With Ability, your facility can improve resident outcomes, optimize reporting data, enhance reimbursements, and much, much more. Discover what Ability has to offer at abilitynetwork.com slash a pack-in.